Dancers have a lot to balance. From their pirouettes to their jumps, a dancer's performance is a direct result of hard work and motivation. So where does food fit into this? There's a lot of myths and a ton of antiquated ideals about what a dancer's diet should look like. And I'm here to dispel those. I'm Rachel Fine, registered dietitian nutritionist and founder of To The Point Nutrition. I'm the dance nutritionist and I'm here to tell you that to be a successful dancer, you don't have to diet. Instead, I'll teach you how to use food as your best tool to enhance your performance. A nourishing meal plan not only fuels your dancing, but also enhances your strength, improves your balance, supports your flexibility, and most importantly, reduces your risk to injury. Hi. Hello. So nice to see you, Josh. It's so good to see you too. How is everything going since the last time we kind of spoke? It's been busy. It's been crazy, but very full and positive ways. Awesome. Super hot here in Seattle right now. So yeah. if you hear wind chimes or anything, it's because we don't have AC okay. and the windows are open and the fans are on. Why don't you give us a nice introduction about who you are, your background as a dancer and really where it took you now? Yes. Um, so I was a professional ballet dancer. I grew up in Texas. So I started at a little studio in Beaumont, Texas. And when I was 16, I moved to New York City and studied at School of American Ballet. Was there for three years. And then I got a job at PMB, so Pacific Northwest Ballet, and moved across the country. Um, when I was 19, and I was with PNB for a decade and took a step back, I thought I was retiring mm -hmm. and um, took a year off, kind of like closing the door to dance. And sometimes that doesn't always happen that way. I realized that there was more to be done. And so I went back to dancing at Kansas City Ballet for two more seasons. And that's really kind of how I got into this position that I'm in now. Because um, it was really interesting as a dancer, I really struggled with a lot of perfection <laughs> and a lot of rigidity, high expectations, um, you name it. And we'll get into that more as we talk. But um, having that time away was really helpful and really beneficial. But when I went back to into the studio and back into the professional lifestyle, I felt kind of all of that angst returning, all of the criticism and just the high standards. And so I kind of like took a step back, even though I was still really in it. Mm -hmm. But um, I had this really interesting vantage point of like watching myself kind of be sort of taken in by the culture of dance but then also having this other perspective of like, wait a second, it doesn't have to be this way. And so it took me into like, okay, dance is not gonna be forever for me. What is a transition um, that feels helpful? Um, because what I did leave out is that transition from dance the first time was into interior design. Oh. 
Yeah, but I was like, this is not working for me. This is not going to be my, it, I just could not envision myself in that career. I respect that. Wow, that is so cool. So talk about identity, you know. <laughs> very, very different. And I learned a lot. But I think going back that second time, I was like, I have this purpose or I have this interest in mental health. Mm -hmm. and in supporting dancers' mental health. And I don't know about many of you out there. Um, I'm hopeful things are different now, but when I was at School of American Ballet, we did not have any sort of access to mental health, or I didn't know about it, which I don't know which is better or worse, because it wasn't visible. So maybe it was there, but I didn't know how to access it. So I think that's a barrier, too. Yeah, and you know, before you even said that, I was kind of going to give you some props in regards to it seems like, for lack of a better way of saying this, you were woke <laughs> at, at a, before the craze of social media, where like today, there is more access, I wouldn't want to say access, but maybe just more awareness around mental health for dancers. I mean, obviously, we have a long way to go, but I would say dancers can definitely sign on to Instagram now, and if they're following a supportive following, you know, it could go either way, then like they are going to start learning about mental health awareness, whether that's, you know, in regards to body image. So a lot of props to you for figuring that out before the wave of social media even happened. So it really kind of makes sense that it was a bit of a calling. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, I don't know if I was that aware of it. It was more of just like, this is how I am going to survive. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I knew that I needed a therapist and I had gone through several injuries and, you know, like in my mid twenties, I was like, I want a therapist. And it never felt like, oh, I'm weak that I need a therapist. It was more of like, I think this could be really beneficial. So yeah, I think it was definitely a calling. Um, and uh, to kind of just like complete the loop, I didn't know how I was going to enter into the field of mental health. I didn't want to be in school forever. Yeah. Um, thinking about that now, I was still basically training forever. But um, I went into social work and I kind of had this idea of eating disorders. I felt like I was familiar with that. I struggled with my own um, disordered eating, subclinical eating disorder. Maybe it was fully a clinical eating disorder at that point, but I was in denial about it. Um, and it just felt kind of comfortable and not, I know that sounds kind of strange to say like eating disorders felt comfortable, but it just felt like a population that I wanted to know more about. Um, I feel like I had experienced with many colleagues, some of the same struggles. And so it took me to sort of this way of working with dancers that, um, I didn't know was possible. So I was like, I'll work with eating disorders and maybe every now and then I can work with an athlete or a dancer. Um, but now with the pandemic, it really has opened up so much more awareness as you were alluding to. And so I currently am the consulting therapist for Pacific Northwest Ballet School. And I work with several other smaller schools and companies. And now I'm making a, a career out of it. And I could never have imagined that this was possible so and I know you have a similar story yeah yeah it's it, it really is so incredible 
as, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the parallels of my own career, you know, when I was a dancer, which also at that age was really before the, the, so, the wave of social media, like where we are today. And I just remember being in a class and looking in a mirror and being and like knowing intrinsically that whatever I was doing was just not sustainable. And like you said, your words exactly were there, there was another way. It's like you had this internal intrins, intrinsic feeling like that things didn't have to be this way. You know what I mean? And I think that's really fascinating because I had such a parallel experience in regards to, um, you know, leaving the dance world and then of course coming back to it and then having this more um, broadened perspective of how I wanted to help also similar in regards to disordered eating and working with a population that similar to you does feel comfortable because it's a population I feel like I can relate to, which yeah. I think a lot of dancers even benefit from that, having clinicians like yourself. So with that being said, Josh, what are some of the most common struggles that you do see amongst the dancers that you work with? Yeah, I see, I would say kind of this wavering in self-confidence. And it's so ironic, right, with dancers who are presenting themselves and who are doing such difficult things. But I think sometimes the motivation becomes more external. And so relying on like what the person in the front of the room is saying relying on casting, relying on what your body looks like, right? So a lot of just sort of the outward messaging. And so really trying to kind of like shift that to what is the internal motivation? Because when we're trying to impress other people, they're going to be ups and downs. So we're not going to be able to impress every single person. Ballet is subjective. That's part of dance, that's part of art. And so when we can kind of shift more to that internal place, it opens up more space. But when we're in that sort of external achievement, that really leads to like self-criticism, that leads to just a lot of judgment, it leads to a lack of flexibility. And then you kind of lose the joy of why you're dancing in the first place. So that's a big one, that's a big theme, and it shows up obviously very different um, because regardless of if you're just taking class for fun or you're a professional dancer or you're training to be a professional dancer, there often is some version of that story coming out. And so yes, really trying to take it back to like, why are you doing this in the first place? Like, what does this mean to you? Yeah, it's so true. Uh, you know, going back to, I feel like for most dancers, I would think if they're, you know, on the road to being a professional, if they're really pursuing that, there's got to be some type of intrinsic passion that was there at some point that they wanted to pursue. And at some point along the road, it gets lost. But it's so hard. It, it, it almost seems, and I can imagine for some of the dancers watching, that it seems nearly impossible to let go of the extrinsic factors out there that unfortunately we don't have control over like you said dance is so subjective but at the end of the day these dancers are relying on their directors and their teachers for those roles or for those jobs but at the same time i love how you suggested trying or attempting to let go of the ability to control the ex the external because that's what's going to free up space for them to probably blossom in their technique and in their artistry. 
Yeah, I think another way that that can show up is by sort of a lack of assertiveness or being able to use um, our voices. Yes. That's something that I experienced myself kind of when I got into this other career. I didn't know how to advocate for myself because as a dancer, everything felt decided. I don't think that's actually fully the case. I think it somewhat can be, but I mean, just think about it. We use our bodies for self-expression. We're not actually talking. And so kind of thinking about that and the advocacy work and just being direct and just asking for something or asking for clarification in a combination, right? You get a, um, a correction and you don't understand it at all, but you don't, ask, you don't ask anything. And then it turns into, again, mm -hmm. that critic. So that's another way that I feel like it can show up with just, again, relying outward. Mm -hmm. And that really plays into confidence, you know, building the confidence to actually assert yourself, even if it's just asking a question about a combination or challenging a director's casting or for, yeah. for what it might be. Yeah, or saying, I'm injured, my foot hurts, I can't push through. Yes, that's a big one. So let's talk about identity a little bit because, you know, one thing I hear from a lot of dancers, I struggled with this myself when I was dancing more full-time, was the idea that as dancers, we have to be so, or maybe I should say this false idea, that, that we have to be so one-track minded. And, and I'm talking really the, the pre-professional dancers. You know, dance is their, their scheduled morning and Afternoons, you know, they go to academics and they do an afternoon of dance. It just seems like it's so one track minded. And a lot of dancers, I think, struggle with finding, really broadening their identity and, and believing that it could benefit them. So I'd love to hear your, what you have to say about this. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's so much in it because what you're saying with dancers who are training right? There is so much emphasis on needing to do every single thing you can, eat, live, breathe, dance. So that's not easy to interrupt when you're getting all of these signs all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the culture of doing any sort of elite sport or form of art, right? It, it comes with a lot of training. And so it almost welcomes this sole focus to be dance and to be, you know, training all the time and working and striving for something. Um, but I think that we're now seeing that this isn't always true, but it's a generational sort of step because oftentimes teachers were dancers before and then they had maybe the mentality that you've got to just be in the studio all of the time. And maybe they learned that from their teacher, right? And so I think we're getting to a point where there's more balance just in dancers who have gone on to have professional careers and who do have other perspectives. And so kind of making that shift um, has really helped where we are today. Um, but I think that we're going to continue exploring what that means. And I think it's gonna look different for everyone because we wanna preserve obviously the integrity of dance. And it's really hard some of what it takes to be a dancer. So you do have to train. So I think just knowing that that's surrounding you and that's probably sort of maybe subliminally kind of, you know, like 
sifted in your everyday existence, just knowing it's there, I think is really helpful in just being able to say like, okay, like it's here, but what else can I do? Or am I noticing this in myself? And where I see this more specifically is with disordered eating or dancers who feel that they have to deprive themselves in any which way to obtain, let's just say, a certain body type. And disordered eating, in my opinion, being one of just the best examples of how um, the strive to be a, you know, a dancer will lead us into isolation, right? Because of what disordered eating can can you know, cause in regards to a dancer, you know, fearing eating with friends or social anxiety. Um, and maybe you can talk more about this. But one thing I also just want to say before you chime in is that I think with COVID-19, we are seeing a, also a more of a generational shift towards dancers picking up other aspects in life. I'm hearing about a ton of dancers who are going back to school and wanting to get their degrees. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think there was a lot of choice, right? When lockdowns were actually happening. You couldn't go into the studio. And I think for many people, I mean, for all of us, me included, it was, you know, this huge trauma of like, our everyday existence was really different. And so um, in that, you know, dancers are so resilient, and, you know, very um, just sort of crafty and creative. And so I think just that desire to want to keep learning is really a protective factor and it did open up a lot of space but also for a lot of individuals it did create a more narrow way of interacting right not seeing your peers not being able to have those daily interactions and i feel like that's very true kind of what you're speaking to of disordered eating or even eating disorders is life becomes very very small and when you have these rules in place, and I was the, well, I was going to say, <laughs> I wanted to say the queen of rules, so I'm just going to say it. It's Pride Month. Uh, <laughs> I was sort of that, like, talk about rules around eating, around, you know, warming up, around, like, getting to my bar spot. And so I think that also breeds even more of sort of that just, like, um, narrow sort of just uh, isolated aspect of dance. And so, yes, I have, I have had even more, but I'll pause there. No, I think it's very interesting because one thing that I've seen in my line of work because of the result of the pandemic was a skyrocketing increase of disordered eating and eating disorders because Sure, were dancers picking up other hobbies because they were forced to and had to basically because they weren't able to get into the studio? Yes, but in regards to food, a lot of dancers actually fell into disordered eating behaviors because of the isolation from being at home and the safety of having full control over what you're eating and over the ingredients in your food. So I think a lot of the anxiety is coming now as we get back into what was, you know, our normal life. And I'm hearing from a lot of dancers about those anxieties of going back to restaurants, not having the control. A lot of food rules or rules in general, you know, have, in my opinion, really developed and solidified over the pandemic in regard to food specifically and have to always do rechecks on my own self. Um, I think for people like myself who are very habitual, 
it can yeah. be so easy for our habits to turn into rules. And then for those of it, and maybe you can agree with this, I have perfectionism in myself as well. I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I think it's even more so um, common for us to find comfort in that, those habits. Yeah, I love that you said that because when I paused myself, I was talking, I was thinking about temperaments, right? And a lot of dancers have sort of this over-controlled temperament, right? And I think that what I always like to tell dancers is that it's often a coping mechanism. So thinking about losing control from the pandemic and then regaining it by, you know, having your rules around food or around exercise or whatever that was that sort of allowed you to get through that difficult time, now it's coming out the other way because there is more flexibility. I mean, life is about being flexible and about being spontaneous. And, you know, again, things are always, they were probably there, kind of some of those beliefs, and they just got compounded a little bit more. But again, taking some of the blame away that was a lot of dancers' ways, my way of coping and getting through a difficult time. But it makes so much sense now that you're going to have to unlearn or mm -hmm. open that back up again to new ways of being with people, being in restaurants, being in the studio, all of the above. Yeah, ab absolutely. It's so interesting how life really just ebbs and flows. And like you're constantly working on, you know, one thing, whether it was like pre-pandemic working on uh, you know, being more flexible. And then throughout the pandemic, in my opinion, really fed into those um, disordered behaviors for a lot of the dancers that I worked with, just being stay at home. And those, unfortunately, those disordered behaviors harvested for a lot of the dancers, for lack of a better phrase. But Josh, um, what are the benefits you would say of dancers finding other outlets like you said with dance training it's so important that we are so focused on it i mean that's dance is so elite and rigorous um yep. in regards to how often we have to train but even finding other hobbies like sometimes i suggest that dancers just start knitting just something else yep. to do. what are the benefits of that well i mean scientifically i don't mean to like geek out but <laughs> picking up knitting you know, as a hobby or picking up a new book or learning, you know, like, I don't know, a language or something like that, it's actually changing parts of our brain, right? So like the neural pathways are being created, right? Sort of that plasticity of continuing to build and open up new space. So essentially, your brain, the makeup in your brain is changing. And that can add and expand personal expression. It can open up new ways of experiencing emotions. It can add more depth to who you are as a person, to who you are as a dancer, right? It just becomes more nuanced. Mm -hmm. So like doing something for, I don't care how long it is, it really does exercise a different part of your brain, which has so many different benefits. Yeah. That's so interesting. I think it actually might have been you in one of the panels that we had spoke on in the past together. I believe you brought this up about um, the work of like changing negative thoughts and how mm. that impacts our neural pathways. Yes, yes, for sure. 
Yeah, well, because think about it. If you have this same thought, the same negative thought of like, I am not a good turner. Mm -hmm. And so every single time you go into class and you have that negative thought, I am not a good turner. Think of like a, a hiking trail and the trail that's been traversed more, right, is clear. There's probably not as much debris on it. It's easy to kind of just fall down that path. But maybe the positive or the more sort of helpful thought has not been traversed. It's not been sort of like walked or trailed through. And so when you start that new thought of like, Sometimes I struggle with turns, but actually I really enjoy practicing pirouettes and practicing is what's going to allow me to have more confidence in my turning ability. So maybe you have some sort of like, obviously maybe a shorter version of that in your head, like I am a good turner. And then you start kind of thinking that. So then you start kind of opening up that path or that hiking trail. And then eventually that one's accessible too. And that one's available. Yes, metaphor. <laughs> Helpful, just in regards to challenging negative self-talk. So for any of the dancers watching this and watching it in the future, take note of that. I think that's an incredible exercise that we can even just do on our own day to day. Josh, the last questions that I would love, the last question that I would like to ask you is something I ask everybody. You obviously have a history of being a dancer and in the mental health field, so you have so much insight that you can provide. How would you then take both of those backgrounds and define what it means to be a healthy dancer? Yes, I feel like there's so much that could be said about this particular, like, question and so i'm going to try to answer it not in a perfectionistic way but from my own perspective and so what i think it really is is being able to have the love and the passion for dance but not being overtaken right by sort of all of the pressure that is put on us by others or even the sort of dance world in general and so at the end of the day we all are different people right? And we all are different dancers, and we all have different strengths. And so finding a way to embrace what we uniquely have to offer, and I think I'm actually doing it right now in this moment, answering your question, right, is I'm going to answer this differently than probably all of the other individuals that you talk to. And that's okay. I used to judge that, wait a second, that's not the right answer, because I need to have this very specific answer. And so I think that that's really what it means to be like this healthy dancer is being able to do what you need for yourself, taking time, self-care I know is thrown around, but I didn't get to this spot without doing some work. And I think really being able to create and carve out alone time for me, breathing, meditation, that has been super helpful in being able to trust my internal cues mm -hmm. versus those external cues. And so finding that balance, right? And being able to tap into the why of being a dancer, because it's not easy, right? Like we've picked a very difficult art form and I don't mean to say that to like deter, but dancing is hard, ballet is hard. So really being able to just embrace like, what it is that you uniquely have to bring to the table, bring to the bar, bring to the studio. Yeah, 
I love that. It kind of also reminds me of just being any type of professional and finding your voice. So I think dancers can experience that same journey of figuring out what works for them. And like you said, listening to the intrinsic reasons versus the external of constantly having to find that, that external validation, but rather remembering that there are intrinsic validation as well for themselves. Yeah, and that's more sustainable in the end. That's what's going to continue serving you. And it's also more meaningful because you got to sort of connect with that and you got to decide that. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, can you tell everybody where they can find you? Because you are such a wealth of knowledge and I want everyone who they're going to watch this to know how they can find you and even work with you if they want. Yes, well... So I'm not as savvy as you are, Rachel, in terms of social media, but you can find me here at Spellbound20 on Instagram. Um, I do not have my website all the way up, but you can find me at FlexibleMindCounseling.com. Mm -hmm. And you can also just email me at tspell2893 at gmail.com. Amazing. And I will include all of that information and down the road when you do have that website up and running fully, let me know so I can share it as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me well, and for, yeah, just kind of helping to get my word and name and all of that out. And we can't do this alone. And I just love having partners like you. I couldn't agree more, Josh. We will definitely be in touch and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye everyone.